Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. Then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. Won't you read out loud with me? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Next. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Hmm. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We can stop right there. Um, mortify, some people use that word quite lightly, but it means put to death. Okay, put to death your members which is a reference to conduct. Perhaps we can find another translation, maybe A. King James or English Standard Version, you'll get to see, see that uh, more clearly. Uh, what I want you to focus on is the word therefore. Okay? Put to death, therefore. Everyone say therefore. Therefore. Hmm. So therefore basically means in light of everything we've just said. All right? Therefore means in light of your new position in Christ, put to death what is earthly in you. That cool? Therefore. Which means you're never going to successfully put to death what is earthly in you without first getting the basis, the reason, the framework or the context for Christian transformation. Christian transformation has to be different to the sort of transformation that Moses brought to Israel. Yes? Because what Moses brought to Israel was a set of commandments within the context of promises and threats. The promises were called blessings, the threats were called curses, and all of these Blessings will come upon you if you keep the commandment. All of these curses will come upon you if you fail to keep the commandments. But it wasn't just the commandments. Actually, if you failed in one of them, you invoke and invite the curse of all of them. So that's quite a threat. And if transformation in your life is the result of a threat... It will not be lasting transformation. It will actually be uh, more like a cage containing the lion that you are. So that as soon as the threat is removed, your nature expresses itself. It's like opening the cage for an untamed lion. Surely the lion never ate anyone. Only because it was caged. Take it out of the cage. It's not only going to bite the hand that fed it. It's going to bite the head off of the hand that fed it. Because the lion was never changed. When your transformation is the result of threats. Which may be spiritual threats. You're going to go to hell. Right? Or churchy threats, 
We'll kick you out the choir. <laughs> or just human threats. You know, we can't walk together if that's how you want to be. If the change is the result of threats, it is extrinsic in nature. It is acting upon you. It is not intrinsic coming out of you. It's not you changing, it's you conforming to avoid pain. Make sense? So the reason the whole Old Testament failed is that the commandments were written in stone. Tablets of stone. In the New Covenant, God's will is etched into the fleshy table or tablet of your heart. So that his will is typically acting intrinsically in which he is giving you both the desire and the ability to do his good pleasure. Amen. It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God actually gives you both the desire and the ability. Yes. Say it again. God gives you the desire and the ability. Amen. Which is different to threats and promises. Many believers sometimes unconsciously, sometimes consciously, are living for God within the context of threats and promises. If I do this, God's going to do that. And if I don't do this, I'll have hell to pay. So therefore, I'm going to reorganize my life within the context of these threats and promises, wondering why it doesn't last, because all you end up creating is a pressure cooker. Anybody pressure go there? Pressures in there. Just pressure. And I don't think that God wants any of us to be living out our earthly journey like pressure cookers. Okay? Because once the pressure gets too much, you will look for a valve to release the pressure. And a lot of what we call dysfunction, bad behavior, is nothing more than a valve through which people release pressure because their experience is based on pressure. You've got to perform because there are threats over here, there are promises over here, and it's pressure. So whatever Paul is saying, he has to be saying on the basis of a better covenant because the new covenant you see this really clearly in Hebrews, is a better covenant. It's based on better promises. And it is very much based on the finished work of Christ himself. And all of the other sacrifices were pointing to Christ. They were prefiguring him or foreshadowing him. And uh, a good example of this is that actually in order to have your sins removed in the Old Testament, an innocent sacrifice had to be made on your behalf. The sacrifice had to be perfect, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You couldn't bring your worst, you had to bring your best. And at its innocence, uh, its innocence meant that the guilty would go free and the innocent uh, would would take their place. Well, when you brought your sacrifice to a priest in the Old Testament, the priest's job was not to inspect you. It was to inspect the sacrifice. If the sacrifice was good, it was acceptable. And you could go free. For a season, temporary, for another year. For, for another time, till next time. You had to keep bringing sacrifices constantly to keep yourself free. This was an outline prefiguring, foreshadowing one who would come, who would be the Lamb of God to take away, finally, the sins of the world. And, and, and in accepting the sacrifice, God does not inspect us. He inspects his son. Yes. Yes. And says he is perfect, he is innocent, 
He qualifies to be your redeemer. Now your faith in what he has done gives you access into an arena, a world, a dimension, a realm. And I want you to notice that Paul, that word therefore, therefore, means in light of where you are now in Christ, you can do this. Not from the shadow, but from the light. Are you ready? Go back up to verse 1. Let's, let's get into this now. I know that we would rather shake, rattle, and roll, hoop, holler, scream. But we need word. We need understanding. We need understanding more than we need to shout. If you then have been raised with Christ, that is resurrected with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and on things of the earth. Verse 3, for you have died. In the, new, in the King James, it will say it this way, for you are dead. You are dead. And your life is hid with God in Christ. I want to I want to I want to I want to break this down. You are dead. Your life is hid with God in Christ. In other words, you died when you accepted Christ, when you received Jesus, when you by faith said that that blood is the payment for my sins. My trust, my hope of salvation is based on what he has done. You put your faith in him. You die at that moment. And what then happens is you are resurrected, okay? Which means you are recreated. Everyone say recreation. recreation. One more time, recreation. recreation. One more time, recreation. recreation. Say new creation. New creation. Mm -hmm. So the, the biblical word for recreation is regeneration. Regeneration. We know what it means to generate, yes? We generate, we create. We regenerate, we recreate. Every believer has been regenerated in Christ to new life. Regenerated. Regenerate. Recreated. Born again. Think about this. Born again. A baby has no past. Born again, a baby has no past. If you are born again, regenerated in Christ, born anew, born again, recreated, then first of all, we need to forget entirely whatever you were before that moment. Because God does not hold a record of it. If you bring it up, he'll search the book, nothing will be there. If the devil brings it up, it's an illegitimate accusation. Because you died. You were then recreated in Christ. Are you, are you hearing this now? A new creation. A new creation. A new beginning. What the Bible calls the new man. Everyone say the new man. Now, let me tell you why this is difficult for us to, to, to fully embrace it is because we have failed to distinguish our spirit from our soul and our body preach up in here bishop you are a tripart being a what a what three parts to your being get ready for this now you are a spirit you have a soul. You live in a body. Yeah. Want everyone to say that with me now? Say, I have, I have a, soul. a soul. I live, I live in, a in a body. But I am, I am a spirit. spirit. Which means in my essence, I am a spiritual being. That has a soul. What I mean by soul, the word soul typically refers to your psyche. 
your mind, your intellect, your will, your affection. Sometimes the word heart is used, but it is your soulish area, and you have that, but you are not that. You have it. You are fundamentally, in essence, principally a spiritual being who has a soul and lives in a body. Now, when you were born again, it is your spirit, which is your essence, that was born again. Not your soul. Help now. We know this. You know your mind wasn't born again when you were born again. You know this. You know your mind still, you've been in church 20 years, your mind's still not born again. You know it wasn't your mind. The miracle wasn't in your, in, in your mind or in your body. It was in your spirit that you were born again. It's your spirit that God recreated and regenerated. Not your soul, not your body, your spirit was regenerated the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ. That's a recreation. So you, in essence, in principle, fundamentally, became a new creation at the point of faith. I want to tell you something about your new creation. Your new creation... When God created you, your spirit, anew, he created it, go back to Ephesians 4, good. Okay, go now to 24. And that you put on the new man, everyone say the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Oh God, help me now. Your spirit that was regenerated at the point of faith was recreated in the image of God and was made righteous and truly holy. Listen to me now. I didn't say your mind. I didn't say your body. I said your spirit man, which is you in essence, are righteous and truly holy. You were created that way in righteousness and true holiness. Which means I... At my core, am righteous and truly holy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, know, I know we're struggling with this. We're struggling with this because we fail to differentiate between our spirit, our soul, and our body. And we think that we are our soul and we are our body. But the truth is we are the spirit man who has a soul and who has a body. If your spirit man was redeemed, your spirit man was born again, your spirit man died and rose again, your spirit man was recreated, and in the recreation, your spirit man was made righteous and genuinely holy, so that at your essence, you are a righteous person who is genuinely holy, and what you have is a soul that is fully contaminated by your experience on planet earth. But I got some good news for you today. And if you can receive this, it will transform your life. The moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ and his blood was applied to you, your spirit died, was born again, recreated, regenerated in Christ, made righteous and totally holy, you were heaven ready at that moment. Wow. All right, cool. Everybody say, I am heaven ready. One more time, I am heaven ready. One more time, I am heaven ready. Say, I'm ready for heaven. Because I am righteous and genuinely holy in my spirit man. Woo! Now someone said, you know, Bishop, I don't know so how I can be ready for heaven because my mind is still messed up and, and in my flesh I'm still messed up. I've got some good news for you. The part of you that is messed up was never going to heaven in the first place. The part of you that is messed up was never going to heaven in the first place. Your mind was never going to heaven. God would not allow it. God was never going to take your unclean thoughts and all of your experiences and all the things that you've done in this world. He was never going to take that to heaven in the first place. And your body's not going to heaven in the first place. It is your spirit that is going to have a new soul and a new body in heavenly places. Come on now. Say, I am heaven ready now. Heaven ready now. 
spirit is ready. Because my spirit is holy. My spirit is righteous. My spirit is born again. My spirit is regenerated. And when you fail to understand that not only did God regenerate you, you fundamentally, in your core and in your essence, he then sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Which means there's a seal around your spirit, man, that cannot be broken. You know, I ain't going to help. Nothing in, nothing out. So what you're then saying is, yeah, but Bishop, I did this. Yes, you did that. You did it. But your spirit man never participated in the process. Your spirit is not participating. That's why you are at conflict in yourself. Because there are things you will do out of your soulishness and your fleshiness that your spirit man does not agree with, does not participate in, does not help you in, does not go with you. As you go, you're feeling conviction. As you go, your conscience is hurting you. As you go, you're getting reminders. As you go, you're being called back. What's, what is it that's calling you back? It's your spirit man that refuses to participate in sin. Because your spirit man, listen, your spirit man does not commit sin. You cannot commit sin in your spirit because you are born of God. Y'all ain't going to help me here today. Born of God. Hold on a second. Born of God. We talk about I'm born again. I'm born again. What Jesus said, born of the water and of the spirit. Born of God. Paul says that which is born of God overcomes the world and does not commit sin. Born of God. Well, what part of me was born of God? Not my mind. Not my body. It's my spirit that was born of God. And listen to me. If you're born of a horse, you are a horse. And if you're born of a cow, you are a cow. And if you're born of God, you are a God. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. The Bible says you are God's. Jesus said you are God's. The psalmist says you are God's. It means in your essence you are divine. Yes. In my essence I am divine. So what you have to do to experience transformation is number one, identify with your essence. And stop identifying with your experience. Oh God help me now, Jesus. What I mean by identify with your essence, it means that you start to realize that you are righteous, you are holy, because the more you say, I am righteous, I am holy, is the more you will empower your spirit man to bring your soul and your body into subjection. But see, the more you identify with the experience and say, well, I am just weak, and I am this, and I am that, and I am not enough, and I am, and you start to, I am with your, with your problems, yeah. you're confusing the truth with the facts. Okay. Confusing the truth with the facts. Hmm. What is the truth? The truth is... That when you are born again, you will recreate it in the image and likeness of God, an exact duplicate of Jesus Christ. You are righteous, you are holy in your essence. And the more you say that, the more you empower your spirit mind. The more you identify with what you have experienced in life and with what you've been taught in your education and all of these lessons that you've learned from all the bad people and bad things that happen to you, you say, I am, I am that, then the more you empower that side of you. So you need to empower your spirituality by agreeing with God that you are who he says you are. You see, there's a difference between the facts and the truth, okay? Now let the weak say I am strong is not God telling weak people to lie. God is telling weak people to understand that your weakness may be a fact, but the truth is that you are strong. So what you're now going to, you see, fire burns people. That's a fact. But, you know, if you stand in a, in, a, in a fire, it's going to burn you. But this was not true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on now. There's a difference between the truth and the facts of your life. And when it comes to truth, Truth is spiritual. Facts are physical. 
And you have to understand that everything physical came out of the spiritual world, therefore the spiritual world is much higher than the physical world. And if something is true in the spiritual world, it, it overrides something that is factual in the physical uh, world. So you start to say, I am strong, you are empowering your essence. You're identifying with your essence. You start to say, I am rich, you are identifying with your essence. Once you identify with your condition, come on now, you say, well, I am broke, you actually empower the brokenness because you put the I am into, into that which is broke. But once you realize there's a difference between your condition and your position, woo, help me now, your condition may be broke, but your position is rich. Your condition may be sick, but your position is well. Your condition may be weak, but your position is strong. You have to identify with your position and, and not with your condition. What I'm saying to you may sound awfully religious, but it is simply, fundamentally, and universally true that people who change their life first redefine themselves. They first identify themselves as someone who belongs on another level. And when you start seeing yourself as deserving another level, you get the feelings of another level. So though you're living on this level, you feel like you belong on another level. What's happening is you are identifying with your essence. And this will work for you as people who do not understand the tenets of the Christian faith, but they are identifying with their essence that actually I am more than this condition. And I will get out of this place eventually. And I will live my life on another level one day. Why are they saying these things? Why don't they just accept what society put on them? Why don't they just wear the labels that were given to them because they've got a new piece of information that I am not my condition. I am not my body. I am not my bank account. I am not what they say I am. I am more than that. I wish somebody in here today would say, I am more than that. I am more than that. Your I am is determining the direction of your life. I am is really the navigation that is determining the direction of your life. It's your self-fulfilling prophecy. What Paul is teaching us here is that you died. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. With the new creation that God has made inside of you. You don't start to call yourself only a sinner saved by grace. Because if you're saved by grace, you are not a sinner. You are a saint. Paul does not send his letters to the sinners that are in Ephesus, to the sinners that are in Corinth, to the sinners that are in Rome, but to the saints that are in Corinth, the saints that are in Ephesus, the saints that are in Rome. You are not a sinner because you commit a sin. You are a saint, and I'm going to tell you why you commit sins. And the fact that committing sins does not rob you of being a saint. No, because that part of you that is a saint is sealed. Wow. Never participated in the sin. Wow. Why does Paul write letters to churches correcting their bad behavior, their bad beliefs, their bad ideas, but start off by calling them saints? Wow. He clearly has a difference in his mind between who you are and where you are. Wow. There's obviously a difference for Paul as to who you are and what you do. Yeah. I'm writing to correct you, but I'm calling you saints. Because the sinner died. You were then recreated in righteousness and true holiness. The word saint means a sanctified one. You are sanctified. You are holy. And those of you that are scholars can look this up. Paul literally says, you used to be like this, but now you are justified. You are sanctified. You are glorified in the name of Jesus Christ. You are now something else. You are not who you used to be. You are a new person. And this is where John 1 said, uh, 
you know, he came to his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, who were born not of the will of man or of the flesh, but of God. Yeah. But it's not in your soul, it's not in your body, it's in your spirit man. Which is why, check this out, you will not change your life style behavior, even if it's killing you and killing everyone around you. You will not change until... Verse 23. Mm -hmm. Read it out loud. Oh, we read that before. We read that in chapter we read that in chapter 12 of Romans. Mm -hmm. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation, changed behavior is always the result of changed beliefs your behavior is driven by your beliefs fueled by your beliefs legitimized by your beliefs endorsed by your beliefs behind all human behavior good bad or ugly there are a set of beliefs whatever you're doing your beliefs have allowed you to do it Whatever you're doing, your beliefs have justified you're doing it. Whatever you're doing, your beliefs are behind it somewhere. Sometimes it's a double mind. Come on now. A what? A double mind. Meaning you believe something with your conscious mind that subconsciously you don't believe at all. You're just saying it's true because you know logically it makes sense, but actually you don't believe it. And so, and so there's conflict even in the arena of your beliefs, but, but it is your beliefs that are ultimately driving your behavior and making you do what you do. So we cannot change your life outside of changing your beliefs. And your beliefs only change when new ideas, new concepts, new doctrine, new formulas enter into your mind so that the transformation that we are needing now is going to be the result of a mind operation. And you commit yourself to the lifelong process of renewing your mind. The first key in transformation is to identify with your essence. Because you are never going to become something that's incompatible with your self-concept. Wow. You'll never be rich if in your self-concept there is a limit on your financial capacity. Come on now. You're never going to, sur you're never going to surpass your self-concept. So the first key is identify with your essence. The second key is to renew your mind. It's the renewal of your mind. And listen, that's not an is that's not a service. It's not an event. Renewing of your mind is not an event. Which is why it's a good idea that your mind is not what's going to heaven, really. I know what people think. You know, we got beautiful, beautiful, childish metaphors for heaven. We really do. You know, we're gonna see all my loved ones, we're gonna see everyone, we're gonna have all these memories. You're not gonna have all these memories. That, was not, that would not be a good idea. You would carry all your memories to heaven. It somehow wouldn't quite be heaven, would it? If all your memories were there. The part of you that is going to heaven has no sin, is righteous, is holy, is justified, is regenerated. The part of you that's living on earth needs to be transformed. Not so you can go to heaven, but so heaven can come to earth through you. The whole point of a Christian's transformation is usefulness in the hand of God. Because you're not going to pick up a blunt tool to do a precision work. If somebody said, no, 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 you got it wrong, Bishop. God is trying to sanctify me, change my life so I can be ready for heaven. Well, if that's the case, since at the moment you believed, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were definitely heaven ready when you said yes to Jesus by any Christian doctrine of any denomination, the best thing that could have happened is that you dropped dead there. Because then we wouldn't have this long 
draw a problem of you getting ready for heaven. Because we had you. We had you right here. We had you. You was ready. Why did I complicate it and drag the whole thing out? That's how we got to think about what we're saying. You are here because you have an assignment in the earth. That's why you're here. And God is changing your life to make you a vessel of honor and an instrument, a tool that he can use to do what he wants to do for you. That's why your life has to change. You are here because you have an assignment. Now this is where the mind of Christ comes in. The what? The mind of Christ. You're changing your mind because what God is giving you is the Christ mind. People who transcend their form have a Christ mind. And uh, there is no gospel of the four that deal more with Christ's mentality than the gospel of John. If you want to know what Christ is thinking, you read John. Because his mind, John is writing almost exclusively from the perspective of Christ's mind. Which is why he doesn't start with the history. He starts with in the beginning was the word. The word. The word. The word is, words are thoughts made audible, expressed. That's what words are. In the beginning was the word. So we're going into the logos, which is the Greek for for the reasoning, the understanding, the philosophy. In the beginning, there was the mind. So we need to get into the mind of Christ. And I want to show you something about the mind of Christ. Are you ready for the mind of Christ? Yeah, this will help you with this. Christ so identified with his essence that he literally said, I came from heaven. You are from beneath. I am from above. The bread that came down in the wilderness, I am the bread. I'm the true bread. I came from heaven. What he is saying is, I am not a human being having a spiritual experience. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. When you identify with your essence, you realize that actually I am a spiritual being and I'm having a human experience. I am not a human being that's having a spiritual experience. Which taken to the next level is this. I am not an earthly being having a heavenly experience. I am a heavenly being having an earthly experience. It's who and what you identify with. Once you start to realize that you are a heavenly being, you are a spiritual being, you're having an earthly experience, you're having a human experience, then you're now developing the mind of Christ that transcends human limitation. You don't think in terms of human limitation because you understand that you are a spiritual being who has come from heaven and you're on a journey through this earth realm. And therefore you see yourself as somehow greater and above the laws that restrict things in this realm. This is good now. It's good now. It, it, it just becomes your worldview that you actually see yourself as a supernatural being having a natural experience in the world, but not identifying yourself as such. How do you renew your mind? You ready for this now? You feed, you feast on the word of God. You read and you commit to memory and you feast and you meditate and you ask questions and you conversate. And what you get from it is concepts and principles and strategies and secrets. You don't get dogma and doctrine. You're off in the wrong path. You're, you're, you're moving from the light to the shadow. You have to be moving from the shadows to the light, which means that when you're reading, you understand the whole Bible was written for you, but the whole Bible was not written to you. I was not talking to you when he said he's going to burn Jerusalem, take everyone into captivity. He was not talking to you. You weren't there. Let's just face the fact. You were not there. When Moses said, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, he was not talking to you. When he said this, you'll surely be stoned with stones. You weren't there. 
That's not written to you. That's written for you. Meaning as you meditate, you will find principles, concepts, wisdom, philosophy, strategies, light. You will start to see things. Connections will be made. Applications, implications. A superior mind is now merging with your mind. And you're thinking higher thoughts. You're thinking deeper thoughts. You're, you're seeing things in ways that the regular people cannot see. Uh, everyone else thinks you should be angry. You're not. Because you're thinking even this is working together for my People think you should be really upset right now, but you're not. Because all this word you've been putting in your mind is actually leading you to conclude that this is a setup for a breakthrough. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's glory to God. You, you know, you, you know, you're thinking differently because superior mind is at work with you. And then what happens is your flesh will say, do this. But because of the superior mind, you're going to say, no. I'm going to do that. And you have the power to do it because you're operating from your essence, not your ego. And the word is transforming the way you think. Therefore, the way you live is changing. My third R, I actually have three R's, I never told you that. First one is regeneration. Okay? To recreate. Your spirit is recreating. The second key is renewing your mind. Renewal. Change your mind. That's a lifelong pursuit, by the way. Basically, in the old school, you were never going to be ready for heaven, ever. Let's just keep it real. Let's keep it real, because what happens is, the more you know of the scriptures, the more you know, is actually the more problems you will see in yourself. You, you, you thought your only problem was you drinking and you smoking. Once you start hanging out with us, you get in the words. Gosh, I got a few more problems. I didn't even know that to have a bad mind was a sin. I didn't know that to be jealous was a sin. I didn't know that. I didn't know that gossip was a sin. Because those are the acceptable sins. Every church has its acceptable sins. Gossip is usually one of them. But as you get on in Christ, you're going to be cleaning up and cleaning up and cleaning up when you are 99 years old. In the old school, you'll be like, Father, have mercy on me, Lord. I haven't done my best. Just receive. Let me in. You can live your whole life in the old school, in the shadows. You can live your whole life and never know you're going to happen. But here Paul and John teach that you must know that you have eternal life. You have to know that your spirit man, the part of you that is going to heaven, is not only saved, sanctified, but is sealed by the Holy Spirit and cannot be contaminated by things that you do in this life. So you're now making decisions not based on threats and promises. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You're making decisions based on the superior mind that you're getting from the word and you're making decisions based on what will make you useful in the hand of God. Wisdom is now ordering your steps. Can I give you the final R? Yes. Before the music starts playing. Praise God. There's no music. I'm free. The final R, if you really want to transform your life, is to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Now I know what we're thinking. We're thinking that the devil is the guy with the horns and the tail and the branding fork. We're thinking that the devil is, is the poltergeist 
They're shaking the bed, shaking things off the wall. We got Hollywood in our mind. We got movies in our mind about the devil. So let me tell you about the real one, the one that's in the Bible. The one that initiated the fall of man. He did it by planting doubt in Adam's mind. You ready for this? The devil is in your doubts. The real devil is in your doubts. He is the father of lies. He's the author of another version. His main function is to cause you to doubt what God has revealed to you. Resisting the devil is primarily resisting your doubts. I venture to say a person is unstoppable who can resist their doubts. I venture to say that Eve would have had a different conversation with the snake had she resisted the doubt. Because he put doubt in her mind. He should have said, I'm not going to doubt a God that's been so good to me. Everything I have, he gave it to me. My life, he gave it to me. You're not going to cause me to doubt him now. We doubt God when God doesn't make sense. But we have no reason to doubt God. He, he, your, your life is, you owe it to him. Everything you have, he gave it to you. You have no reason, good reason to doubt God. So resist the devil. When doubt comes into your mind about who you are, say, devil, you're a liar. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am recreated in Christ Jesus after God in righteousness and true holiness. My spirit was heaven ready the moment I was born again and I am heaven ready now because I've been sealed by the Holy Ghost. And I am in this world only to fulfill a destiny, to carry out an assignment, to fulfill a mission in God and that I will do. You're not going to make me doubt God's calling on my life, God's purpose for my life, God's plan for my life because God is standing behind his original purpose and he will bring it back to what it is meant to be. Don't make me doubt God's intentions for me. When the thought comes into your head that God wants you to be sick and die, I will not doubt God's highest intentions for my life. <laughs> I could go somewhere with this. I'm not going to do that. When you are in the condition that is called poverty, struggling, debt, mm. not enough, lack, resist the devil. Come on now. Come on now. Pay the bill, but resist the devil. Don't call the bailiff the devil. He's not the devil. He may be used by the devil, but he's not the devil. The devil is in your doubts. Because let me tell you, if you had no doubts, you open that front door. If you have no doubt, you are unstoppable. You are literally unstoppable with the absence of doubt in your life. Which is why Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, if you say to this mountain, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you said will come to pass, you will have whatever you have said. Teaching us what it means to be a citizen of heaven whilst living on the earth. You say things and you don't doubt. And when doubt comes in, you resist the devil. Right now, we're going to resist some devils that have been causing you to doubt God's love, God's favor, God's plan, God's provision. If those have been doubts in your life, I need you to join forces with me today because we're going to resist the devil. We're going to cast those doubts out. Are you ready now? Come on now. Some of the demons we need to be delivered from are simply called doubts. Come on, everybody up on your feet. We're going to get some victory in here today. I want you to not take this from my hand, okay?
just don't take it. Don't take it. Don't take it from my hand. Don't take it. Don't even reach for it. Don't take it. I can't give anything to someone who won't receive it. I stretch it out to you, but if you won't take it, it's just hanging. It's hanging. If I let it go, it drops. It's wasted. Listen to me. Our problem is not with God giving. Our problem is we don't know how to receive what he has already given. Our struggle is with receiving. How do I reach my hand out and take what God has stretched out in my direction? How do I do that? You do it by faith with your voice. You say, thank you. I receive what you are giving to me. It's spiritual. That's not, that's not physical. It's spiritual. But you see, you're taking something out of the spiritual world, bringing it into the material world. And if you're taking something out of the spiritual realm, bringing it into the physical realm, the root, the vehicle, the bridge, the connection is your voice coming out of your faith. That's why Jesus spoke to things that he wanted to change. He told his disciples, speak to things that you want to change. Use your voice as a conduit of power and as a way of receiving what God is giving to you. So one more time, we're going to offer up some praise, but let's, let's make it intelligent. I want you to just begin to say with your voice, Lord, I receive what you are giving to me. I receive what you are teaching me. I receive what I'm learning. I receive the revelation. I receive grace. I receive power. I receive wisdom. I receive strength. I take it and just take it. Take it with your voice. Take it with your faith. Take it with your mind. Come on, church. Come on. Let's give that a try right now. Come on. Just receive it. Use your voice and receive from God. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.